0: Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping early stage marketing teams do better than boring work. My name is Jason Bradwell, and every week I sit down with whip smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build a modern day strategy that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Andra Zaharia, who is a content marketing specialist for cybersecurity companies. How are you doing, Andra?
1: I'm so good. Uh, I'm so happy to be here and to be talking to you. I love what you're doing. Uh, I love how you contribute to the community so much. So this is one more reason to be extra uh, pumped for our conversation (laughs) today.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you. And you know, I've been a long-time admirer of yours on Twitter because um, we have been talking a bit on Twitter over the last year or so. And you know, you've carved out a fantastic niche for yourself as a content marketer for cybersecurity companies, an industry that I don't think I need to tell anyone is on a bit of a tear at the moment in terms of its growth. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit today about content marketing specifically for cybersecurity companies. But before we dive into that, tell me specifically. Um, what it is you do for those kind of companies and and what's been your journey so far? How did you end up specializing in this industry?
1: (laughs) So I'm going to start with a second question simply because it was... Um, Very, let's say, unexpected trajectory, Um, and I think that many of us could potentially resonate with that, especially many of the people working in cybersecurity, whether it's technical roles or any other kind of roles, people come from all sorts of backgrounds, and there's a huge diversity, which is one of the things that I love about it. So my background is in communication and PR, but I always kind of my career kickstarted directly in digital marketing back when it was called digital marketing, (laughs) because we don't have that distinction anymore. Um, I worked with a bunch of companies in the beginning, and then I kind of started focusing on tech, and I worked in and with and around a lot of tech startups which helped me, you know, kind of internalize that way of thinking and the way of doing the experimentation mindset and a bunch of other things that kind of helped me on my personal growth trajectory as well. And over almost um, seven years ago now, (laughs) I got recruited by a cybersecurity startup to write content for them and although being you know interested in technology in general and I'd always been kind of the um, let's say cautious type in my approach simply because I think that, that came with you know me being an anxious person and, and wanting to have some control over things and when I started working for um, that specific company it was just a oh, love at first sight I guess uh, it was an instant connection with all of the things that you know, I believe in and I truly care about. And it also gave me an opportunity to make um, a contribution that's meaningful and to find that sense of purpose in my work, which honestly speaking, sometimes marketing doesn't give you simply because, well, you know, the nature of our jobs is quite challenging yeah. in many, many ways. So we had, I had that instant connection with this intersection of things, um, you know, between technology and psychology um, and anthropology and sociology and many of the other (laughs) disciplines that kind of, you know, overlap in cybersecurity because you need to kind of know a bit of everything to make it work. And from there on, I just, um, you know, pursued this, and I, I really kind of immersed myself in the community, trying to understand and trying to gain subject matter expertise um, to be able to use my marketing experience and my communication abilities in a way that makes sense, because this is not an industry like the others. So, in the past three years, um, having started my own freelance business. I have been working with customers on a mix of strategy and implementation. So what I do is that I work with mostly startups or scale-ups to help them build their content process, to help them, you know, build a strategy and execute on, let's say, High-level um, deliverables, but I also collaborate with their in-house teams. I help them recruit, so I'm I have my hand in a bit of everything that they do, um, which is very exciting because I've always, you know, kind of thrived when I was able to work with founders and understand the business deeply, understand their customers deeply, uh, and help them do things that are truly effective and scalable and make sure that the foundation is a very healthy one because otherwise I've seen from experience time and again that no matter how much effort you put into building content programs and content teams and so on, if they're not connected, truly connected to the rest of the business, um, it's just not scalable and you bump into all sorts of uh, challenges along the way. So, yeah, that's kind of the, let's say, (laughs) TLDR version of my career so far. Um, And I'm truly, you know, I I feel both lucky and very grateful that I've ended up in this industry because I don't see myself, you know, um, changing it for uh, a long time (laughs) from now.
0: Well, one of the things for sure, the cybersecurity sector is not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, And you talked a little bit there about, um, you know, my my next question for you was going to be what kind of keeps you in the the industry. And you talked a little bit there about finding a sense of purpose. And it sounds like for you, this isn't just about the fact that the sector is growing rapidly. There is a lot of um, investment pouring into the industry, a lot of new companies emerging, but you know, there is something deeper and more meaningful there for you to, to to be working towards. Can you kind of expand a little bit about that sense of purpose you feel in working in in cybersecurity specifically? Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, it's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> honestly, uh, I find that when I talk to people who are outside of cybersecurity, and I tell them that, hey, the human component, the human element, is actually the most important one in the industry. People perceive cybersecurity as a very technical industry, which it is, but technology is a way to amplify and scale the human ability, the human experience, and the human outlook. And here's why I'm saying this, Um, at this point in time, cybersecurity is not just you know, it's not just an industry that's made to obviously make a lot of money, but it is fundamental to stability, the stability of technology, which plays into the stability of societies as a whole and our you know, global society in general, whether it's commerce, whether it's, you know, no matter what other sector we're talking about, cybersecurity plays a role there simply because our world is so dependent on technology and technology is imperfect. And what lies beyond all that technical, all of those technical layers are people who put in place processes and um, who actually you know, imbue technology with their way of thinking. And these people are, you know, they're playing a fundamental role into shaping what our society will look like in the next decades uh, and whatever happens next to, generally speaking, you know, our dynamic as as humans, as countries, as, you know, companies and so on and so forth. So being able to make the smallest contribution to that entire huge kind of power dynamic um, is an opportunity that I find is kind of a privilege because we're at a point, I believe that what I call cybersecurity literacy, which is, you know, understanding the core fundamental aspects of what keeps you safe online and building critical thinking around that. So you can actually, you know, navigate all the complexity that we live in, which is not going away anytime soon. Uh, Being able to contribute to that for me is an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to find meaning and purpose in my work, and an opportunity to connect with people on a personal level. Because what I found that you know, cybersecurity has the same challenges as medicine, for example, and you know, inspiring and cultivating proactive behavior. Because as humans, our biology is not built for that. Our evolution didn't necessarily build us to be proactive anyway, and we can <laughs> see that you know all over the place. So we have to work a lot with, and I have to work a lot to understand what makes humans respond to stimuli and what stimuli will put them in, you know, on, on, on an action path, mm. <laughs> uh, what will get them to actually do something, not just understand, but also have that aha moment where they realize why that's important for them and how it can help them in the long run, whether it's, you know, start using a password manager or, Um, finding someone who they trust in their circle of friends or family, or, you know, among their colleagues, so they can get that help they need when they feel stuck with technology, and when they, I don't know, fall victim to a scam. Um, it's, It's all about trying to help people feel like they can handle this, whether they're, you know, CEOs, or whether they're, uh, you know, a courier who walked into our office one day and said he lost all of his, his entire music collection of like 20 years to ransomware. So there are so many, there's, there's a huge, let's say, um, range of people who need this kind of basic cybersecurity education to, um, You know, to help them avoid loss in many ways and to also kind of consolidate their self-esteem, to be honest, because when you feel empowered to navigate technology and to handle your own security and privacy online, you also start to question, you know, things like... (laughs) how you know social media is impacting our lives and what can I do for myself to be able to kind of maintain clarity of thought and to make sure that my decisions are as much as possible mine and not other people's
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean you painted a a a broad spectrum there of the, the kinds of um individuals that are affected by this essentially everybody all the way from you know at an individual level if you have a mobile phone or you access the internet you need to be aware and cognizant of the risks that are you know that that face you and how you can prepare to fit and how you can prepare against those risks all the way up to kind of enterprise level Fortune 500 companies that, um, you know, certainly invested in technologies beyond just a password manager, but fully locking down their their, their kind of digital ecosystems from potential attack. Um, Working with your clients, who are the typical buyers that, that you're creating content for? I appreciate it may not necessarily be broad stroke, but who are the businesses that you're working with trying to target through their content?
1: Hmm. So I've worked with in both like the two main, let's say, broad areas of cybersecurity, which is defensive cybersecurity and offensive cybersecurity. And they both come with their own universes. And there are about, I think, over... 20 to 30 niches in cybersecurity, which are very different from one another. Uh, and again, have a lot of depth and complexity in their own audiences. And I've worked in creating um, content uh, aimed at, you know, educating individual users, regular internet users. And I've also worked with, um, you know, addressing highly technical audiences, highly technical customers. And I've actually progressed from one to the other (laughs) Mm. through the past years. Uh, And I found that I, I deeply enjoy and what I'm doing right now is that I deeply enjoy working with the companies that I work with to address, you know, to to help these highly technical specialists scale their expertise and scale their abilities. Um, I'm working with companies who create the tools that enable them to apply that expertise at scale, which is, again, incredibly necessary. There's a lot of talk of automation Mm. in all of the industries. But what I found specific to cybersecurity is that there are places where there's no room for oversimplification simply Mm. because these are complex issues and the human mind can tackle them, you know, by connecting them to all of these other disciplines. Um, Like I mentioned, you know, human psychology and business and and putting it all together in a way that makes sense. While automation helps here and there, they'll never be able to replace the human, you know, the human, let's say intervention, Mm -hmm. the human expertise in in that area. So I I worked with, I currently work with, one of my main customers is in offensive security. Mm -hmm. And we work with penetration testers who are essentially ethical hackers who will come in and attack your company ethically and in a controlled way to expose those vulnerabilities and then carve out, let's say, a roadmap for fixing them. And then they will retest your company uh, to make sure that those, you know, the major things first of all uh, had been fixed the major issues and then you know going into uh, business logic issues and things like that Um, obviously this is an oversimplification of what penetration testing really is but it is super interesting because it puts you in the shoes of the attacker Mm. And it helps you look at yourself, whether you're an individual, because I try to apply what I learned to myself as well, Uh, whether you're a company, it helps you gain that self-awareness that um, changes your perspective, basically. It shows you that, you know, many of the things that you thought were safe actually aren't. It helps uncover your blind spots. Um, which, you know, on an individual level, we often do through coaching or therapy or reading or, you know, talking to other people and and trying to get that objective perspective and the entire process, my entire process, let's say content process is very focused on understanding their needs and doing a lot of customer development interviews and working with the jobs to be done framework Mm. to understand what these people truly need because their work, um, Highly technical specialists in cybersecurity do a very, very, um, you know, taxing type of work on all levels. They have to handle the technical side, which always evolves and never ends. And it is very, um, you know energy consuming in, in every way and then they have to translate those technical outcomes into business outcomes so they can get the buy-in from upper management and and make sure that they get the budget that they need to solve these things and their impact is very real we've seen you know supermarket chains, um, the fall victims to ransomware and have to close down. We've seen hospitals, we've seen, you know, electrical plants and, and water treatment plants get locked down and local governments not be able to do their work and, you know, car factories get shut down because of these things. So their real world impact is very visible. It is, mm-hmm. you know, you, you feel you have like a personal responsibility towards, um, let's say the general population simply because your work is right there. I mean, you're responsible for keeping these things as much as you can. There is no perfect security. There will probably never be uh, Mm. to make sure that things like these don't happen, especially in, you know, critical infrastructure, which we all depend on. And frankly, yes, it's scary when you think about all of these things, um, which is why, you know, building the tools and, and the services that help people, you know, advance their understanding and also their practice of cybersecurity, it feel is is fundamental to the stability that we need in society. And frankly, we need more of it because we're not really at a stable point in our history right now as, yeah, <laughs> as <absolutely>. a species.
0: <laughs> so you, you, you've painted a picture there that could be interpreted as quite scary. You know, that we're more vulnerable as, um, individuals and companies operating in the digital world than we, than we have ever been because the rate of sophistication of people who want to do us ill will is accelerating. So, so greatly. And I imagine that the emotion of fear is something that is played on quite heavily in the cybersecurity industry and its content marketing. What are your thoughts on the use of fear in that context? Do you feel that it is an effective brand differentiator?
1: (laughs) No. <laughs> That's the, the the shortest version of my answer. Uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt has been abused um, as a principle in communication generally, whether it's marketing or sales or content or anything else in the cybersecurity industry for a very long time. It has been abused because it partially works, but when you overuse it, people just become indifferent to it. And you know we've seen this in, let's say, the medical sector, uh, in the healthcare sector over the past few years. Blatantly, we've seen people become unresponsive to anything that was fear-driven to any kind of communication. And to that, there's another layer because when you're talking about health, it's something that you relate to more easily. But when you're talking about cybersecurity, these notions are so foreign and so abstract and so devoid of emotion that it actually, you know, it, it creates even more distance from, you know, the stimuli and and the reaction that it's hoping to get. So what I've seen is that as a defender. At this point in cybersecurity, um, empathy is a much stronger, um, let's see, factor to build into your positioning. Talking to people like they're humans, not using cliches, because those again are are they just cause instant rejection. If you're talking to you know the more technical your audience is, the more experienced they are, the faster they will reject. Um, anything that's based on fear, uncertainty, and doubt, anything that uses cliches that they know aren't true because, you know, they have like 20 years of experience or 30 years, they've basically been around since cybersecurity started as a discipline, generally And I found that the only thing, the only place, let's say, where, um, you know, using fear, uncertainty and doubt makes sense because it creates actually a sense of connection is when you're telling stories, true stories (laughs) of people who went through those experiences, people who got, you know, scammed, who had their computers uh, infected, who lost baby pictures of their children and they didn't have a backup so there was no way to get them back and that you know that hurts deeply um when they maybe lost their jobs or there's this entire range of experiences when we see hospitals get attacked and we thought that you know even malicious hackers wouldn't stoop to that level but still they do um so Using fear, uncertainty, and doubt only, I think, makes sense in that context when you're telling true stories that create empathy, that help the people, you know, uh, put themselves in that situation and think, you know, what would this look like for me? How would I react? What would I need to, you know, avoid as much as possible to get there? But otherwise, reusing this and just rehashing the same old examples and the same old phrasing is just uh, tiring and ineffective, you know, things like the number of cyber attacks has been increasing. I've seen this (laughs) countless times over the past six years. I cannot take it anymore. And people can't take it anymore. And it leaves them cold. like, yeah, so what? I don't care. (laughs) What difference does that do for me? It doesn't have anything to do with my life so using more empathy and i love that there's um, a group of people in cybersecurity who are both you know business leaders but technical leaders as well who advocate for using more empathy who advocate for being mindful of the language that we use because for example i'm an advocate for hacking is not a crime which is an initiative that's meant to remove the stigma from the term hacker hackers are not cyber criminals they're not the same things Mm -hmm. malicious hackers are cyber criminals and scammers ethical hackers on the other hand are the good guys they have the technical skill of you know taking technology apart and putting it back together and keeping it safe but they do it with ethical intent and with obviously you know um, a practice that matches that so they're driving the community forward through a different kind of conversation and companies who want to break out in this, you know, ever more competitive space. I think that would have they have a lot to gain if they focus on the human aspect, if they focus on connecting um, to their audience on a level that shows their understanding of their needs um, and their objectives not just in terms of you know selling things uh, but also in helping them advance in their jobs which is the, what the G- jobs to be done framework is all about
0: yeah absolutely you know um, it, it it annoys me when I hear people say that b2b is emotionless um, and that you know uh, buyers, Purely make their their decisions based on on logic and price point and things like that, and um, you know you talk you talk there about the kind of audiences that you're trying to target through the content marketing and cyber and cyber as being kind of highly technical. You know these are very experienced um, uh, individuals who've been in the industry for a long time, incredibly smart, um, very technically minded. I would imagine that in cybersecurity, it's very easy to fall into that trap that, you know, the content we create needs to be just facts, you know, they just need to be the, the numbers and um, the, the features and the benefits that those features provide. I'm curious to hear from you, you know, do you think that there is room for entertainment in content marketing in the cybersecurity industry, or is it primarily focused on education?
1: There's definitely a lot of room for entertainment and I'm seeing a lot more of that. So in the past, let's say three years, there's been, let's say, a small, uh, you know, not, not an explosion of, but rather a multiplication of individual content creators, which is, you know, influencers basically. And some of the content that they, you know, put out there is, it also has this infotainment side to it. And I found that the, even the presentations that they give at conferences, the best speakers um, will also have that element of entertainment in it because it helps, you know, it helps relax the conversation. It, it takes away that sternness and that, um You know, I I just guess that people get a bit stiff (laughs) Mm. when, uh, even when they're trying to learn something simply because there's so much to take in at any point in time about any kind of topic. So you need to to create a more relaxed environment where people are more receptive to these kind of messages, Um, when people know that they're valued and that um, they can make a contribution no matter what their level is of expertise or experience and so on and so forth, uh, because there's such a huge need for all sorts of roles and individuals in this industry to be able to translate those messages beyond the echo chamber that um, the industry can sometimes have to, you know, regular people to make sure that we transfer these stories and all of this know-how in a way that has, a, let's say, scalable impact. Mm-hmm. So um, I definitely think there's room for entertainment. I've seen, you know, even although I'm not on TikTok and Instagram, <laughs> I know that there are uh, content creators who do very well there. There are plenty of YouTube channels uh, with great people who, you know, do a, like a very high level um, in terms of production quality when it comes to their videos or anything that they put out there. So I, I, I like that, you know, this particular industry is one that, Constantly challenges the status quo, or you know at least part of it, and that means you know changing how we communicate from a B two B perspective, how we create content, what type of content we create, um, how we you know challenge, let's say mod communication models and tactics and things like that, and and strip away the we should do this and like and ask okay why are we doing this and and how can we create something meaningful for the audience simply because. They're the kind of people who will say, no, this is not for me. No, this is bullshit. No, this is not something that I connect with and that I believe in. And that personal belief system plays a very big role in this industry. People carry it with them no matter what their roles are. Um, And that makes for a very, you know, interesting and kind of unique scene to, to be working in. Because it also, you know, challenges you as a marketer, especially because honestly, people in this industry have very strong aversion towards marketing and sales, (laughs) simply because it's been historically, you know, devoid of feeling and Mm -hmm. and very pushy and very aggressive. So to show them that there are, there's a different way to approach this uh, is sometimes can be quite a bit of a challenge, but I'm seeing a lot more Cybersecurity companies who want to do things differently and yeah. who, you know, have seen founders who have seen this in their previous roles and don't want to grow their companies in that way, which is very encouraging. And, and I hope that, you know, the marketers who are listening to, to our conversation maybe consider that, you know, there might be a place for them in cybersecurity because we honestly need um, a lot more, you know, skilled communicators that might find that sense of purpose in this industry. <laughs>
0: With that being said, I mean it's 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 great to hear that there's a kind of this um uh this kind of shifting mindset within the cybersecurity industry that marketing doesn't necessarily have to be just the kind of facts and figures that there can be uh, an element of entertainment and empathy and emotion introduced to um, to to communications, which I think is. Probably, you know, a wider trend emerging outside of cybersecurity. You know, it's something that I think a lot of these, uh, a lot of new B2B companies, B2B startups that are emerging are recognizing that, you know, we can't just be publishing the odd press release, have a website and, you know, throw the odd case study out there and say, you know, jobs are good And on the, uh, on the old marketing front. That if they really want to stand out, they need to do things differently. Um, if you had to kind of, if you had to highlight what you think is one underrated content marketing opportunity in cybersecurity in terms of either channel or format or, or whatever? What would you What would you recommend?
1: Uh, in terms of channels, it differs wildly from the you know based on the, on the audience that you're trying to reach. So, you know, one of the things that I think is lacking for most cybersecurity company is embracing a strong positioning, embracing a stance, taking a stance on, you know, the problem that they're trying to solve. Um, for example, you know, with one of my customers, we embrace this idea of um, we, we are building some automation. Uh, but we're not building automation to replace you. We're building automation to amplify your expertise. Um, while, you know, all of the other companies are communicating, hey, we'll automate end to end and we'll mm. replace you. Uh, <laughs> and it's not just about, I mean, it's, to me, this is a blatant contradiction. You're trying to sell people something that, you know, wants to put them out of a job. Yeah. But, you know, taking that aside, it's, clear that they do not understand what that job entails, what their customers truly do for a living and and where they bring in the most value and how that cannot be automated, honestly. So I think that positioning is one of the things that, um, content marketers can contribute to and one of the things that is fundamental to their work Mm -hmm. because without having that we see this in various areas as well i mean data driven content marketing you know with a lot of stats and a lot of you know studies and things like that is is not effective anymore and we're seeing a lot more content marketing that is based on opinions and and nuance and trying to kind of introduce more flexibility into how people are thinking and acting, mm-hmm. which you think is a welcome change. But you can't do that without knowing what you stand for, because otherwise you're going to have this watered down version of, and, and you know, like and just mirage content, a lot of, you know, regurgitated stuff um, without having that, that edge that you need to, to communicate. So I think the positioning is one of those things. And the other thing is just subject matter expertise. This is an industry where you can't work if you don't really care about understanding how things work. You don't need to start coding unless you want to, or start doing the thing yourself. But you know, when you look at things from the content marketer's perspective, without subject matter expertise, you're just going to glide on the surface of things and, and never do something that's truly unique or, or truly helpful. So those two things, you know, having from, from the company side, working on that positioning and then bringing your subject matter expertise and, and connecting those two. I think those are absolutely essential. Otherwise, it's, it's just going to be a lot of wasted effort and resources.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves in the next five years? And that you know could be related to cybersecurity or just more generally. I mean, what do you think B2B marketing looks like in the next half decade?
1: Hopefully a lot more focused, Mm. Um, not trying to tackle all of the channels at once, questioning, you know, the formats and the uh, types of assets that they use in communication, you know, um, making sure that there is that that constant connection with customers and that customer development is at the center of communication and not just the thing that we do every once in a while. Um, Because, you know, to me, every time that I work with customers on, on customer development and when I do it for the first time when they have customer development interviews, they are surpri- they immediately get hooked and convinced that we should do this every time. We should do this every week. <laughs> we should do that as often as possible. <laughs> and I'm i all for it. Like yes, this is the kind of, of, of enthusiasm and of you know the kind of process that keeps everyone aligned uh, and, and connected to the reality of things. And, but I still think that focus is going to be both the biggest challenge and the biggest driver for growth in, in B2B marketing, simply because with so much opportunity, I found and, and from, you know, by looking at other companies, I feel that, you know, having that focus, whether it's positioning, whether it is channels, whether it is, you know, product driven marketing. Um, Focus will help you grow the fastest and align the fastest and validate things the fastest. uh, And it will help you tackle specific needs that you can truly, you know, do something meaningful about. Um, Looking at, you know, bigger companies, that's going to be a big challenge for them because doing so many things at once Um, that makes it a difficult dynamic to have. And that's why challengers, you know, who are hyper-focused are able to grow so fast and and just break out of their competition so fast.
0: Yeah, well, you're a great example of hyper-focused. I think, you know, as I said at the very beginning of this interview, you know, (laughs) If anyone were to say to me, um, who can I speak to about marketing and cybersecurity, your name would be the first that comes to mind uh, because you've done such a phenomenal job positioning yourself as an expert in that field. Um, Andra, this Mm -hmm. has been a a masterclass in cybersecurity content marketing, and I thank you so much for sharing all your your wisdom and your insights. Mm -hmm. Um, Who should I interview next on B2B Better?
1: You're you're very generous and very kind. So thank you for for this opportunity and for you know um, having the chance to to talk to you. Um, I think that you know there are um, a bunch of other marketers in the space who do very interesting things. And if you were to pick anyone from the marketing team at Brave uh you it they would be a fantastic guest there are various people there uh who i'd recommend but i think that you know taking your pick would would be more uh kind of more of a a a possibly interesting challenge uh i love what they're doing in terms of product and um you know the way that they're challenging basically google also in terms of search they recently launched in beta a new search engine their browser is you know built for privacy and security and they've just grown massively over the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. those that that would be one suggestion. And the second one would be um Irina Scarlat. She drove growth for Uber in the CEE and then for Revolute, um, uh, first in the CE and then globally. Uh and now she's with BitPanda, and she just has incredible experience and a fantastic mindset and she's super performance driven and i just love the way that she approaches things and i think she should also be a great guest all
0: right well i'm going to be hitting you up for some introductions after we finish up uh, recording here for anyone who wants to learn more about you and your services where can they find you
1: So they can go to my website, which is andrasaharia.com, or they can, you know, just launch a quick Google search. You'll find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, but not on Facebook and Instagram uh, because I've abandoned those a few years ago, (laughs) which was a great decision. Honestly, Twitter is my go-to. Twitter is my one true love. Uh, Mm. It's where I met you and so many other great people. Uh, The communities there are fantastic. And honestly, it's made a huge difference in my life. So, yeah, hope to meet up there.
0: I'll drop the links to your website, your Twitter profile, and your LinkedIn profile in the description of this episode. But otherwise, Andra, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better.
1: Thank you as well, Jason. This has been amazing.
0: That's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you've enjoyed it, you can check out my previous episodes via the link in the description. Or if you fancy getting a nice hot steaming mug of B2B marketing advice on how to build an audience for your brand, you can sign up to my newsletter, The B2B Byte, which goes out every Monday. I'll drop the link to that also in the description of this episode. See you next time.